1: Go check it out today, www.gprstabilizers.com, or call 619-661-0101. Don't forget to tell them ATV Talk, Sandy. Randy Dinkins, welcome to ATV Talk. Hey, man, thank you for taking some time on this holiday weekend to, to spend with us out here on the West Coast where we're cooking. I don't know how you guys are doing back there, but oh boy, is it warm here. Yeah, it's been warm here too. And thank you. I appreciate the invitation. Thank you. Oh, brother, I, I couldn't do it without people like you and and that have been rock solid in the industry for so long. Yeah. Well, the the industry has given me far more than I ever gave it. Uh, it's given me uh, untold friendships throughout the world, uh, people I've met all over the world and, and still remain friends with to this day. Uh, little joke to that point is I told my wife, if I ever disappeared, good luck finding it. Cause I won't even know where I'm going to be at. <laughs> I said, I'll just, I'll just go. And, you know, the, one of, one of the wonderful things about doing this and traveling the, the country and even the world is, is it seems like when I go out, uh, if I have any issues traveling or whatever, it's just a matter of picking up the phone and calling somebody in that area. I've I known people all over the country and you know, it's it's all because of the ATV industry, though. It's every every bit of it is because of the ATV industry, and I have, I have thoroughly I've spent most of my life in this industry and uh, all of its life, uh, and I've loved every second of it. I really have. That's incredible. I I feel the same way. Um yeah. I don't have quite the same amount of contacts contacts, but uh, you know, if you think about it, and you're somewhere, and you reach out and. Hey, I'm just down the street, you know, and you're like, really? Oh, wow. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you'd be amazed how many people know who you are, whether you think they do or not. A lot of people know you and your brother very much. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. We're just, I'm just guy, I'm just a guy that builds ATVs for a living. That's, that's all I, that's how I think about it. And, and, yeah. and you know, that comes to the, to the ATV talk and, and bringing someone like you on the history mm-hmm. can't die. We need to tell the story. I agree. And I need uh, you to get into story time. Before we go there, let's go Mm -hmm. back in time a little bit to the beginning when you started falling in love with the ATV industry. Uh, That was when I was a teenager, still in high school. Uh, My uncle, uh, who has passed on, he's with the Lord now, but he and his son... Went out and bought some three wheelers. He started out on the ATC 90s, and of course I was pretty small then. But uh, a little bit later on, they, they bought uh, some 200s, and then a 200X. And then when he, by the time he bought the 200X, is about the time I started really getting into it. And so I, I kind of conned my dad into to uh, co-signed a loan for me so I could go get me one. So I went and bought me a 200X, and the very first weekend I had it, I was out racing. I've been racing ever since, so that's been a long time ago. <laughs> eighty four, eighty five. About is it uh, November of eighty three is when I purchased mine. Yep. So in uh, nineteen eighty four was my first full season of racing, and and like I said, it it I watched it just explode with the three wheelers, and then of course I watched the whole sixty minutes and twenty twenty fiasco uh, try to destroy the industry, and then here comes the uh, the four-wheelers and uh, Suzuki started a whole new industry and a a new genre. And it wasn't long till I had one of those. I haven't gotten off those yet. And uh, everybody now is talking about, oh, the ATVs are dying. You got to go side-by-sides. I said, I'll never be on a side-by-side. Not going to happen. Sorry. (laughs) I just, I enjoy riding the four-wheelers too much. I I love it when people tell me the ATV industry is dying. Well, if it's dying, why am I so busy? Yes, it's not dying. uh, And it may be dying for that individual who says that because they may have they may have advanced beyond that to to where they want to be in a side by side or they want to do something different or whatever. But for those I mean, you think about it. We've seen it for from the people when we were young. They may be out of it now, but they're young people coming in behind. them, And then there's another group of young people behind them and then behind them. So and the ATV numbers may not be quite where they were at one point. But they're still very, very strong all over the country. Everywhere I go, I find people, ATV enthusiasts everywhere. So it's not dying yet. I don't believe that for a second. I I don't think it's going to die. I think that the pandemic uh, counterproductive to what, Mm -hmm. you know, we could get into a a whole conversation about that. But people went outside. People got on their ATVs. People started doing things where they were going outside and and fishing and hunting and riding their ATVs. And, and so much of it involved the outs outdoors again, camping, whatever our industry just started growing again. And, uh, I think that as much as I'm scared to ride some of the new three wheelers, not scared because I won't enjoy it, but scared because I might like it. (laughs) The, the I don't new, know. I, I saw one just today that just got put online today. I might be scared of. It is a new three wheeler just been built? Uh, Suzuki LT five hundred. I don't know, but what I might be a little bit scared of that one. That's that thing will hurt you. That thing will hurt you. There's no you know, doubt in my mind. I mean, I've, people have heard me say this on the on the show before. I'm not a huge KTM fan, but that mm-hmm. but that three hundred that they have. I've heard about it. Yep. They're building that into a three-wheeler. And yeah. not only what I want, do I want to try it as a motorcycle, I want to try that as a three-wheeler. I'll bet you that would be fun to ride. I can imagine it would be. I think there's some guys here locally that are putting those motors in some TT bikes. Uh, then you are going to run in a 450 class with them. Because they said they're making just as much horsepower, but it's, I guess, considerably lighter than the 450 engine. So they think there's going to be an advantage know, there. I don't know the actual horsepower numbers. I've never looked into it, but the rideability yeah. numbers are what I'm talking about. I mean, you yeah. just you watch and every person that I listen to, because, you know, we grew up ATV and motorcycle. So mm-hmm. a huge number of my friends are motorcycle enthusiasts that own both or right. that own both. And some of them have that two stroke KTM Husky, whatever you want to call it. And they love it. Yeah. And it's an argument. Hey, yeah, but- which is it? Is it the carbureted version or the fuel injected? And there's an argument between the two. But <laughs> yeah, I I've never owned a fuel injected anything yet, other than automobile. But as far as the ATVs or motorcycle or anything, I've never owned a fuel injected. So I've been all carbureted and still am. So I'll, I'll stick on the carbureted side for now, anyway. So till maybe one day I'll get one. You know, you say that until you try one of the, the new fuel injected bikes with a device on there that you don't have to take anything off to adjust it to go. Yeah. And you go, wow, I just put a pipe on there and tuned it. And, um, it's that, that a would be minute, 15 <laughs> minutes and I'm riding. Okay. Yeah. Maybe I'm sold. Well, like I said, I I will reserve until I own one. I'll reserve. I'll just, <laughs> but for my own my own personal experience, I kind of have to stay with the carburetors until I do have one. So that's that's where I'll stay for now. Are, are you looking <laughs> but, into to advancing into a new machine? Or are you pretty happy with your old machines? I'm pretty happy. Well, that that's a twofold answer to your question, and that's a good question, by the way. Uh, my heart is. Staying with Honda, my heart is, is staying with something I love to ride. I've enjoyed, uh, as I told you in the past, I've owned Suzuki, Yamaha's, Hondas, I've owned all of them. Uh, but at the same time, while I love riding Hondas, I'm considering, henceforth, the word considering, uh, <laughs> selling my Hondas and buying all Yamaha's just because, and for one reason only, they are the only company in the industry right now supporting the ATV industry. So that's, that's my reasoning behind it. So if I do make a change, it'll be because of that. You know, you're not the only person thinking that. And you're seeing some, you're seeing some racers and you're seeing some companies devote their resources towards it. Um, mm-hmm. I can't, or I can't arguably argue with them. Uh right couldn't I just couldn't base a strong argument for it uh, I know that our company is going to stay diversified we like the mm-hmm. projected bike but we like the carbureted bike and I have built great product for both and we're right. still being able to use and develop our Hondas um, for our company's purposes maybe not the industries uh, right. in the west coast it's it's still a um, I, I think depending on we're, we're a non motocross area basically it's off-road and desert stuff and the Honda is still a better platform. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I just I love Hondas. They were the ones I got started with. So they were always they were my first love as you want to call it that. But uh but at the same time uh that new Yamaha I've ridden them for Monster Jam. They handle great. They have sufficient power without even doing anything to them other just you put a pipe on them and program them and ride them. Uh, they, they were sufficiently powered for what we were doing with them. Uh, but uh, my knowledge and my forte is in the, with the Honda's. I know how to work on them. I know what to do with them when it comes to the fuel injected. If I couldn't plug and play on that thing, I didn't know what to do with it. And, you know, I just I didn't know how to tune it. Other than just say, take this off, plug this in, and it should go. And if it don't go, then I'm like calling somebody. Like, okay, what do I do now? <laughs> You got Randy. So, call me. I'll help you. There you go. Okay. So, uh, so, uh, but like I said, my passion is Honda. Uh, it's just, you know, when you, when you know how to work on something, you feel comfortable with it. You know, it's like a, uh, your favorite pair of shoes, you go buy a new pair of shoes and for a few first few times you wear them, you hate them, you know, but then eventually they grow it. Same thing it's, it's Hondas is just, that's my home. That's where I'm at. That's what I've been, been used to. So.
0: I, yeah. I,
1: I i can't argue with you because yeah. i am i'm building myself a new Honda four fifty uh, are you yeah Cool. well I've need been, some parts let me know <laughs> I, I i have a pole stack sitting there i just need to start working on them uh at cool. working on it and getting it going um yeah but yeah i've been i've been picturing it in my mind for a couple of years and the concepts starting to come together i, I just have so many real work jobs in front of it, I don't know when I'm going to yeah. get it finished. Well, you got to kind of put some time into it. That's for sure. It's, it's kind of like you just tell the wife, I'll be out in the garage. You know, just go out there for a while, and close the doors and just you in that four with her for a while. That's all you can do. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm very blessed. My wife is uh, very understanding when it comes to it. There, there's so is mine. there's yep. days when she's not, but... <laughs> Those days are very few and far between. She le- yeah. she lets me take a lot of rope before she pr- finally brings it back, uh, and I am thankful for it. You know. Yeah. Well, with I honestly can say with all my heart, I would not be where I am in this sport without a supportive wife, just like you. Um, you got if you got a woman, and I've seen this so many times with other guys in the past. If you've got a woman who constantly fights you about that ATV and she don't like you spending time with it, she don't like you spending money on it, she don't like you going to races or other trips with your friends, it's not going to be long. Either she's going or the four-wheeler is going, and she's the four-wheeler that it loses. So, yeah, it's the cheapest thing. It's easy. It's cheaper to keep her than it is to get rid of the four-wheeler. Exactly. Exactly. Well, in, but, my, uh, case, in my case, it was the other way. The four-wheeler stayed and the and and the ladies <laughs> left. But uh, I'm a rarity and maybe maybe not yeah. the smartest guy. And, But my wife now is is doesn't understand the off road industry, yeah. But she sees the passion that comes with it. That's exactly the same here. Exactly. And she's a passionate woman, and uh, I don't uh, argue with hers. I support them, and she does the same for me. And it's it's a lot different when you get to a very intelligent, passionate woman that uh, understands what's going on. Mm -hmm. Well. You know, I, I think I may have told you this before in the past, but every time I've started a new, whether I was going to decide I was going to run a point series or whether it's going to be going on tour with Monster Jam or whether it go on tour even these days with the Independent guys, every single time without fail, I share with her with her the schedule that I've got for that, whether it be the six months, three months, a year, whatever it's going to be. Here's what I got. Tell me your feelings. Are you okay with me doing this? And she'll say almost almost every single time she said go do that and i'm like are you sure she says that's your passion it makes you happy you love doing it go do that and i'm like okay if you're okay but at the same time i turn around and support her on all her things that she loves to do as well uh, so she has her her hobbies and, and her passions that she loves to be behind and i support her with those 100 percent as well so it's been a really good working relationship for 33, almost 33 years. i mean, be 33 years in October, so
0: well, uh, it's been
1: very. Uh, thank you. That's yeah. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, it has. Been, has been. Thought we uh, almost lost her to COVID here a couple months ago, but we praise God that she's still here. So she's recovering. So she's doing well.
0: That's great. Yeah.
1: I'm glad yeah. to hear that. I was going to ask you about that, but you brought it up first. Perfect yeah that was that was a scary time scary time um it's uh she and I and several members of our church got it all at the same time uh from a funeral that we attended but um uh, it it affected her and her brother the hardest uh I was sick but or so i thought I thought I was sick Let's put it that way uh, but I come back from being out of town. I had been sick while I was out of town. I just stayed to myself, stayed in the hotel room. When I was at the racetrack, I stayed in the trailer. I go get on the four to go do what I was going to do, and it wasn't easy. Get back to the trailer, and then I had to drive twelve hours home, and that was going to be tough. But, but by the and like I said, I thought I was sick, Lenny, But when I got home and seen my wife, I wasn't sick. I was nowhere even close to what she was, and I just about practically like, picked her up, almost and took her to the hospital, and and. Um, Like I said, we almost lost her. We did, unfortunately, lose her brother. Uh, It was a sad, sad time. But, but we, uh, she's getting better each and every day. She continues to fight. She fights not only for herself, but she fights for her brother, who didn't make it, and makes sure that she's going to pull through all this. So it's, she's getting, she's about probably ninety percent better now. She's, she's got a couple more things yet to do. She'll be all right, I think. She's strong. She's a strong woman. She really is. Well, to be married to that's you for 33 years, I'll bet. I ain't, ain't that the truth? I agree with you 100% on that one, buddy. Let me tell you, wholeheartedly. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, but, I, I'm glad that that's working out for you. And um, it, ha, did the COVID affect your schedule that much with with uh, what you do? Last summer it did. Uh, you know, there at the end of March when everything shut down, literally everything shut down for, for me as well. Uh, all the uh, all the races and monster truck events and everything else that we attend, I mean, they, everything was shut down. So uh, for that reason, uh, yes, it affected us considerably. However, we got going again about say about September, about right around early to mid September, we got going again, and uh, honestly, we ain't slowed down since. Been going wide open.
0: And so, that's awesome.
1: Yep, yeah, and the crowds. You could tell the fans were ready to come back, they were absolutely 100% ready to get out and see something. Just get me out of the house is where our mentality was. It's like, y'all sit up around, and wear them mask, and y'all keep your distance and do everything like they tell us to do. But let's just have a good time, let's just be all, let's all be glad we're out of the house, let's just get out and there. Of course, you know, they all applaud with that because it's like, heck yeah, let's go. So, um, so for that reason, yes, and now. More and more states are lifting the the mask ban, and they're lifting you know they're, they're lifting all the COVID restrictions and whatnot, so it's, it's making it a lot
0: better. But yeah
1: yeah, I know around here, it went from you know, you couldn't go into a certain stores with, without one on to now, you hardly see them. right, Correct. Same here, same with me. I see more here in North Carolina than I do anywhere else. I was just gone for two weeks. I went to, uh, let's see, I went to Kansas, Missouri, Tennessee, Kentucky, uh, and West Virginia. And I did not see, I bet I didn't see a half a dozen masks the whole time I was gone. I get back to North Carolina, you walk around, it's like every other person still got a mask on. I'm like, what are y'all doing? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you don't need to do that. So, yeah, it's just, it, I think it has a lot to do with your, your leadership, your state leadership, uh, and what they're continuing to push their their motives um that's the only thing i can foresee it because if everybody else could go without one why can't north carolina i don't know
0: it did you you ain't got nothing on
1: us oh i know i, I know guy out i here hear all about a little nutball <laughs> <laughs> I, I hear all about it out here it was like well, glad oh, i ain't man. out there <laughs> yes oh, i know exactly man. i know but uh but yeah this uh it's been a, it's been a whirlwind for sure. It's, uh. Just when you thought you'd gotten through it, you know, like I said, we were, we were a year into it before it affected our family directly. So just when you thought you were getting through it, and then it don't, you don't not get through it, but it knocks you for a loop. I mean, it knocks you on your butt, the whole family, everybody. And uh, so, yeah, it was been a tough ordeal for the last several months for us. We've been pretty fortunate in my family. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It hasn't gotten to us. My wife's in the medical field my son's in the medical field and he's had some close calls where he had to go into quarantine because he was exposed to it. Um, right. One time in a, in a, I'd probably shouldn't be talking about it, but it, they, they did the, they broke protocol and had him do a treatment on a patient without testing the patient first. Oh, and yeah. after they, after he did the treatment and was exposed because the treatment had COVID, or the co- the patient had covid which fills the room with the bacteria or the disease or whatever uh, and he was in there without mask and none of this pre- protective stuff so they whisked him off into a, a room and tested him and sent him home and he had to be away from his wife and his kids for 14 days and
0: All turned right, out he did get it good good but yeah Still, it was a pretty scary, scary. It, it is
1: scary. Yeah. And like and like you've heard, and I've heard, I don't know why we're talking about so much medical stuff, but it's the truth though. Some get it very severely. Others get it. They hardly even know they got anything, you know, just kind of like a little sniffle or something and just keep on going. But uh, like I said, I don't know if it's something in my wife's family, but both of those, her, her and her brother both, it really, really hit them hard. You know, the rest of us, we all got sick and, you know, we knew we were sick. I mean, it wasn't a, it wasn't no vacation, but it was nothing compared to what they went through. Nothing. Okay. So, and it's, I don't know. It's just, it's very difficult to talk about it because you don't really, I don't, I feel like me and you probably don't know enough about it to talk about it intelligently. But then again, the doctors will tell you the same thing. They say we're still learning every day, learning things about it. So as long as they continue to learn and learn how to treat it, I guess that's the best thing we can go for.
0: So. It's kind of scary when you
1: can go jump in a in a body of water and in all over the world and there's a bacteria floating around there that'll, that'll kill you and they don't know enough about those either. Right. You know. Yeah. So it, it it's crazy what's we are so fragile and we go jump on ATVs or jump in race cars or skydive mm-hmm. or whatever it is and put our bodies through these forces that technically we're not supposed to live through. Correct. Yeah. Well, I'll share one more story with you about the COVID thing real quickly with my wife because it's really comical. She survived COVID. Okay. This is her words, not mine. She survived COVID. But now she wants to do something different that she's never done before. I said, what would that be? She wants to go skydiving. I was <laughs> like, seriously? So because you survived COVID, you're invincible now? You, you can just, she goes, I want to skydive. I'm going to do it. I was like, Whatever. Have fun.
0: <laughs> I'll
1: jump she in it. I'm not going to jump out of an airplane. No, she's, I said, I don't I don't understand the mentality of jump, jumping out of a perfectly good airplane. I don't get that. <laughs> I don't either. It just, it never has Never has computed in my head. I don't get it.
0: Yeah, I'm and
1: not, not going to do that. No, but she's watched me over the years, the, the, jumping the ATVs and whatnot. She says, well, I've watched you do things I would never think I would do. She said, wonder myself. Why is he doing that? And she said, I know you enjoy it. She says, I want to try it. She said, I not ever do it but one time, but I want to try it. I said, how about it? I'll drive you there. Hopefully drive you back. But that's about all. <laughs> that's all I'm doing. <laughs> so uh, you drive you well, hopefully drive her back. So yeah. But uh she's something else. She, she is the joy of my life That's that's the thing. Her and the children, that's but that's what it's all about.
0: That is so, true.
1: Yep. yep. Let, but, let's uh, get back into the ATV world. Not that I don't enjoy talking about the family and the wife and all, but oh, yeah. most of our listeners aren't probably going to enjoy the conversation as much as we are. Correct. I, uh, I, agree. I agree. You talked about the Mid-Atlantic series. Uh-huh. What other series have, have you been involved in and what was your role in? It? Well, uh, the Mid-Atlantic ATV Association, I started uh, back in the, fall of 97 actually the summer of 97 uh our very first race was held in january of 98 uh i started the mid-atlantic atv association because all around north carolina south carolina virginia you'd have tracks that would allow atv to run but you go to those tracks and there would be like one or two of you or three of you and that's it there's nobody there's not enough there well i had been doing Monster truck shows with Monster Jam for a couple of years at that point. So I was I was traveling around and meeting new riders all over the place. And so I just took it upon myself to start trying to make our own series where we didn't have to share the track with the motorcycles. We just want to do ATV only. That's all we wanted to do. And so word got out that uh we were doing that. I went to all these different tracks and uh contacted the the riders that I knew. From those areas and next thing you know we put together a, a 10 round series and back then if you remember in the late 90s it was still motocross and TT were together as a combo and so we did ours we kind of mimicked the a, the AMA series uh in that respect but the uh the AMA wasn't really doing anything for ATVs at that point, at that time they weren't really supporting it they they would take your membership money but you never saw any benefits from it. It was like they were just taking our money to support motorcycles is the way I looked at it. So we started our own deal. And our very first race, we showed up. We had like, I think it was like basically about 40 riders at our first race. And by the time the years end, we were pushing over 100 riders a race. So it was growing pretty rapidly. By the end of the second year, we were up to close to 400 riders. And by then, we were getting people's attention. And one thing that tremendously, in my opinion, and i say that, I said it then, i say it to this day, but one thing that helped us tremendously was the recognition of the companies, the sponsors that was helping us, including you and your brother. Uh, because you had that name recognition that, you know, we had several sponsors that came on board and I took, it wasn't that hard to get sponsors because I I took your brother's advice. He was one of the first ones I spoke to about it. I took his advice and he says, instead of asking for money, why don't you ask them to support you for the banquet at the end of the year with gift certificates from their company for different, because different guys will have different ATVs. So you can't just do all Honda 250Rs when somebody could be riding a Suzuki or riding this or that, whatever. And I say, yeah, it makes a good point. And so the it took off. We did that. I did that through 2002. It grew every single year. Um. And then for, for whatever reason, don't ask me why, I just got this revelation one day. I said, I think we need to go bigger. I was like, you know, I was kind of doing like North South Carolina, Southern Virginia. I think we need to go bigger. I was like, hmm. So then I talked to people, uh, your brother again, I believe we're one of them. Uh, I make reference to that because back in the early days of this, your brother was one that I talked to quite a bit. He had a lot of ideas and a lot of good advice. So he helped a lot. So, uh, but also Mark Baldwin helped me a tremendous amount. Um, Curtis Sparks talked to him a few times. I mean, the various ones in the industry, and they just give you some advice. And then whenever I so, in 2003, I started what what was known as NQRA, the National Quad Racing Association. And I wanted to make basically challenge the national series here on the East Coast is what I was my intentions was doing. And so we took off and did that. And, uh, again, a lot of great sponsors came on board, Tucker Rocky, Outerwares. I mean, I can't, I mean, I can't even remember a lot. There was a lot of companies that stepped up and helped us a lot. Uh, and we got AMA's attention for sure. And then that one went for a couple of years, but our title sponsor and what kind of caused me to stop being QRA was our title sponsor at the time never paid the bill. And that would, that really hurt financially for not just our association, but for me personally. And so I just kind of walked away from it at that time. I said, I'll just go race myself. And so that's just what I did. So I raced for a couple of years, just local series and whatnot, and kept doing the monster truck stuff during the wintertime. And then after that, um, you know, we had the East Coast EDT series, which basically is is the series that was used to be the Mid-Atlantic ATV Association. Uh, that is kind of transitioned into just a TT series, or EDT, if they want to call it that. Um, and the reason they did that was because that's where all the numbers were. The motocross numbers were pretty consistent, but the TT was just continuously growing uh, every year. So that's why they just took off and went that direction. And that's why we still, to this day, this part of the country is really, really strong for the TT. Genre of of racing, um, and that's really about it. I mean, and then like I said, monster truck wise, 2016 through 2016 was just kind of consistent. It was mostly in the winter time. You still had your spring and summer and fall to do whatever you're going to do. 2017, however, Monster Jam changed everything as far as the ATVs go because they now said we're going year round with the ATVs. They gave me I think it was like 22 or 23 rounds to do over the course of 10 months. So we were traveling all over the country. They hauled our quads wherever we, we were going. And all we had to do was fly in and ride them. And they started paying us pretty well. So we could actually make a, you know, I don't want to say make a living at it, but we could justify traveling and being away from our families and whatnot. And it took off and went real well for two years. And then at the end of 18, they had had some upper management changes and decided to go a different direction and. They went with Triple Threat for 2019, and then 2020, they canceled, stopped everything. And 2021, they've come back and they've put uh, Freestyle Motocross in there. So they've also sold all their ATVs that we had. So I guess we're done with Monster Jam, but we still do. I'm doing more shows now with four different independent promoters than I've ever done with Monster Jam. I mean, I'm going almost every single weekend doing something. So pretty
0: good.
1: What do those shows entail? Uh. I coordinate the way I justify or can handle doing it is I coordinate the, the ATV portions of those events, meaning I make the contacts for all the local riders and get the riders there to do the events. And when I'm there, when I show up, every anything and everything to do with ATVs is me. So in other words, if it, I meet with the production staff for the event and they tell us, "Here's our running order, here's our itineraries, so on and so forth," I'm in charge of getting everybody signed in getting the uh, the registrations done all that kind of stuff and then it's just a matter of explaining to the riders how what type of show we want to do in other words the monster truck stuff is really about entertainment more than racing and what i mean by that is the monster trucks right. we all know it's a monster truck show they don't call it an atv show it's called a monster truck show so we know what it is we know why we're there but we are based an element of the show to go in between the monster so that they have time to cool down because they don't have radiators on them. So they need time to cool down. Otherwise you just burn the trucks on. So, and then they want us to be interactive with the crowd and get them excited. So we started out doing years and years ago, we started out doing quad wars. Uh, Dan Allen and Jeff Isabel is when they started that initially. And then I came in not too far into it, but uh, we decided to do originally it was North versus South. Okay. Then it became uh, just a state versus state or a college versus a college, you know, just some kind of rivalry. And you'd always have a home team and an away team. And my job, if I'm I'm an away captain, for example, my job is to make sure
0: that that crowd is cheering for that home team, whether it be uh, turning on the crowd, whether it be, you
1: know, getting in the face and challenging the the other captain of the home team, or, you know, I, my favorite thing to do is turn on the crowd. I start telling them to just shut up, you know, or, or screaming at them. You know, one of the, one of the big things I often do, Lenny, it's kind of funny, but the promoters eat it alive. When you can get that crowd going and get them screaming and hollering, they can't, even the monster truck guys can't even do that. So it's, it's, Crowd participation, and that's what my whole goal is when I get there: get them excited and get them going. And of course, the kids love being able to come and sit on the quads and take pictures with us, sign autograph. We do that before the show and after. And yeah, so it's a, it's just a good environment. Uh, it's a it's a family. It's a clean environment. You don't you know, there's no profanity, no drinking, no you know. It's just a it's just a good wholesome show to, to take your kids to. And uh, and like I said. It's allowed me several years of just being able to ride ATVs longer than my body can physically. I can't go out and run pro class or nothing anymore. I mean, that's ridiculous to think that. But I can go ride a monster truck show and have a great time and entertain people. So I keep doing that. That's what I do. And you're having fun doing it. That's the most important thing. Absolutely. And and there's another biggie. I get to travel all over the country and even seven other countries in this world. Was somebody else paying the dime? Somebody else paying a ticket on it. So I'm like, done. <laughs> that makes it even more worthwhile. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And it, honestly, if it wasn't for that, I would have quit racing several years ago, I'm sure. Uh, at least at the level that I used to do it at. But uh, but yeah, it's just allowed me extra riding time. And a lot, of the, a lot of the guys that are older guys like myself that don't really race race anymore, they'll still come out and do shows with me just like the young guys will and have a great time, have just as good a time as the young guys are doing, you know, and we just have a ball doing it. So, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. what are the countries that you guys travel to? Oh, geez. Well, the ones that I personally, now they've been to other countries besides the ones I've been through, but uh, I've been to Puerto Rico, Costa
0: Rica, Curacao, Venezuela, Aruba, Bonaire, Belgium. The ones I've been to, uh,
1: I know they've been all over Europe. They've been to Canada. They've been uh, Australia a lot before COVID. Uh, now I'm not really sure what their schedule is going to be as far as getting all back into the international stuff. But Monster Jam is slowly growing step by step back into it, but it's a slow process for You know, just get things going back up. Going again. Is it always in a big stadium, or do they do like fairgrounds or anything like that? Oh no, we do uh, fairgrounds, coliseums, and, and arenas. Uh, we do. We can even do horse arenas. If they got a high enough ceiling, we we'll can go in and do horse arenas. Um, it's not just stadiums. Just anywhere we can put a crowd of people is uh, and do a, a safe show. That's Outdoor facilities again. as well. Outdoor as well. Yeah, we do a lot of dirt tracks. Uh, well, even asphalt tracks. We've done a couple of drag strips. So yeah, if
0: you can well, get some people in there, let's go do a show. what's all about the
1: evolution of the the monster truck I know we're not talking about monster trucks Mm -hmm. uh, hopefully the young lady will be coming on soon that can talk about monster trucks Mm -hmm. Uh, but we the evolution if you watch the videos the things that they're doing with them they've had to really get high tech with the suspension and the chassis
0: Mm -hmm. yep and the raw nerve of the drivers in the seat I mean it takes a lot to, I mean, to do some of the things they're doing. And you don't, you don't
1: think about it. It's just like watching uh, Joel Hetrick or Chad Wiening. You, you think as a person sitting there watching it, that you know how to ride forward. Well, I can do that. I can do that until you get out there on that track and say, "Whoa, maybe not. Okay. Yeah. It's the same thing with that monster truck. They make it look, the good ones make it look easy. You've always heard this and I have too. The good ones make it look easy. It's not easy. And you really got to have a set on you to hit some of these jumps and do some of the things that they're doing. It's scary. And yeah, there are some women doing it and they're doing very, very well. Uh, I gave you one woman's name, but I'm going to tell you, there's a couple others that, you know, now that I think about it, I probably should get you to talk to them as well. But uh, but yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, it's an act. It's, it's an art to it. It really is. The ladies that you sent my way, I'm really excited to talk to them. We're not going to mention yeah. the names because it's not fair to them at this point, because right. they, I got given all the details, but, um, I'm super excited to talk to him because I think in both of them in their own right are outstanding. Um, mm-hmm. one of the young ladies I'm, I'm working, working with to get on this show, uh, on the West coast, I just am e- super excited as well because, she's still, um, got such a huge following of women that are just following her career and and what she's doing, she's beating the boys. Yeah. She, she may be racing U T V, but she's still beating the boys. <laughs> it it yeah. happened. She it beat happened. her husband too. You yeah. Know, husband races too and then they got a really good program going and, and her husband, I think I, I think I know who you're talking
0: about. And her husband's yeah. pretty
1: famous and, 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 and pretty yeah. uh To me she's more famous than he is. <laughs> uh, I, he would, is. I would almost agree with you, you know. Uh, I mean I'm a little biased because I've known he, of his previous career in the atv world. So right. you, you know, uh yep. yeah, but she is just taking it, taking the bull by the horns and just lighting fire. It's it's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. So you're building an effort though, for sure. And, and is somebody trying to call you? Are they trying to mess up? No, right? no, it, it's that's uh, a Facebook messenger popping up, but that's fine. <laughs> you keep going. I'm just I'm just reaching up and pushing them down. So I don't have to look at them. So but yeah you go ahead. Isn't that amazing Our technology is so good that we're doing one thing and 15 other people are trying to communicate with us. Oh, yeah. 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 If if you ever watch me reach over to the side, it's because I'm doing the same thing. Somebody's (laughs) trying to reach me. So I'm flipping the message up out of the recording. Yeah. Because not only am I recording you here on the the Zoom, but I'm recording this uh, with a cell phone at the same time. Oh, okay. Cool. And yeah. There's all these nuances to it that I don't uh that I don't always uh understand, but I I just do as I just do as I'm told. <laughs> you sound like me now. Well you know everybody everybody that listens hears this. The two young ladies behind me that that are kind of running the show or telling me what to do, you know, they're changing my formatting. All the time, and I'm just like, really. I'm just getting used to what you just told me. Why are you changing it again? <laughs> I can barely keep up. <laughs> Got to keep improving. Got to keep improving. Uh, well, yeah, but still, I'm not a media guy. I'm not a computer guy. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not this. This is. I'm to have a conversation with my friend about ATVs. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of that, uh one of the things I wanted to talk to you about and tell you about is. Um. Uh, I know you remember the ATV race that we used to do at Virginia Beach, and that race it became the last two, two maybe three, but definitely the last two years. I was told, and I believe it, that it was the largest ATV event in the country. Uh, I mean, the last two years we had over twelve hundred entries, and at the same time, the MX Nationals was having around around eight or nine hundred on a good good weekend, um, and it was really. I mean, it was growing every single year. Uh, that was one of the most fun events I think I've ever been a part of, either as a rider or promoter. It doesn't matter. I mean, it was just a tremendous event. And to this day, I'm still thankful to uh, to the company called Beach Events who uh, contacted me initially and had me do that. And it uh, started out being a motorcycle, just a dirt bike race. And they they called us up at the last minute and said, hey, you want to bring some quads? I don't think the dirt bikes are going to have a very big turnout. You want to bring quads too? I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? We, we took off and I contacted all the mid-Atlantic guys and said, come on, let's go have a race up there. Okay. Well, the, the sand was so loomy up there that the dirt bikes couldn't hardly stay up. Only the super fast guys who stayed on the gas the whole time. They were the only ones that could stay up. Everybody else was just falling over like crazy. Quads, however, it was just like a, just a fish to water. I mean, it was just perfect. And so after the first year at the the dirt box was there the first year, after that event was over, the guy promoting the motorcycles came over to me He said, Randy, I'm just gonna hand this to you. He said, You do this as an ATV only event. He said, The bikes ain't gonna make it. I was like, Okay. <laughs> Didn't hurt my feelings. No. And we, we grew that thing and it, it did very well for a couple of years, about three years. And I wondered, I said, how can we? I and mean, we was having like two or three hundred entries you know
0: it was a good race it was a good event but i said how could we make this bigger Talked to john Pellin, i talked to uh
1: uh harlem and i talked to uh dirt wheels magazine talked to kane different ones i started advertising with all those guys a couple months about two or three months before the the race was and next thing you know it, it went from like 300 entries to a thousand overnight all because I ran ads and dirt wheels and, and put them online. And I was amazed. And we had people come from all over the world to do this event. And we had people from Australia, from France, from England, Canada. I mean, it was amazing to see riders there from all over as far as they were coming from. Mm-hmm. And then, whenever the government, the local government shut it down because we were taking up too much of their beach, we had yeah. grown. We went, initially, they gave us two blocks of beach, okay? The last three years we had it, we had 12 blocks of beach. The problem with that was, is the people that are like, have the timeshares and stuff for the hotels, they were having to go over half a mile down to get on the beach, get access to the beach for their vacation. And they just, as a group, started complaining about it. So the hotel and restaurant association started complaining and that's what ended up getting us knocked out of it. But but so, the revenue that the race made?
0: Oh, we nothing? sold out
1: We sold out hotels, hotels, hotels. And the hotels, they were kind of on the fence. They were like, well, but they were trying to to make the people who had bought long-term, they didn't see us as a long-term deal. And the people that bought timeshares who were there for long-term, they were kind of, I guess, looking after them, I guess. But, but it was explained to me anyway. But no, the revenue we were generating for that city was, it was in well over a million dollars a weekend for that weekend.
0: And, um, it was, but it was one of the best. I mean, to this day, I've never had as much fun as I did doing those events. And, uh,
1: the first couple I raced in them too. I was like, I can promote this and race in it too. But once it hit that magazine and, and the internet stuff. Yeah. Forget that. I mean, the last three, the last two seasons, we had it, uh, filmed for a uh, outdoor channel. So they, Posted it on t- it was on T V, like a you know, like a thirty minute episode, you know, just kind of an overview. But man, it was it was it was growing. I remember we had Kangaroo Kid coming over, we had him lined up to jump the pier the next year and uh it was gonna be a pretty cool deal too. But it just never happened anymore. I had eight years out of it.
0: Well, that's eight years better than none.
1: Oh, absolutely. So but I'd go back if they called me today, I'd go back and do it in a heartbeat. That's how oh, much I fun. I bet. I do not. Yeah. Yeah, how many other things have you promoted? I mean, did you get, did you get into promoting any of the National Motocross CT stuff besides uh, the things that we already talked about? No. Well, I promoted everything. I was I was just that I was that guy that was just against the AMA because I didn't feel like they were doing enough for our sport. So, I really I never really got into the national scene. I, I participated as a as a rider. But as they're on the promotion side, uh, I think the last couple of years, the AMA actually had a TT series. I think I'm thinking it was last year, last two years. But uh, they were contacting me about helping out and giving them ideas and what to do, how to build it up, and all this kind of stuff. But at that time, uh, the numbers had started falling off so drastically, it was going to take something major to get that to come back. And now you only have the New England series, and then you got uh, you got the East Coast, and then you got the Midwest. You got three different TP series that used to make up the national series. Now, so I don't know mm-hmm. if it'll ever get back to a true national feel like it was. Do you think they com- will will ever combine events to where they bring everybody together at one shot? I wish they would. Uh, the closest they did that was the uh, the 50th anniversary of a- Um uh, Sean did a tremendous job of that. He invited the Midwest. The East Coast was already coming, and then of course, New England, uh, the New East, was the promoter for the Ashtabilla event. So that was the closest you would ever come to seeing them actually come truly together. But that it, that that particular event had its issues because Midwest was not running the same rules rule packages as the other two primarily engine sizes and so forth in the pro classes and whatnot. And so that was a, that was a big dilemma there for a little while that weekend about it wasn't fair because this guy gets to run a bigger motor than me. And this guy gets to run this instead of me and all that. It was just, it, it caused some controversies. And so therefore I don't know how, I think it would work if you'd get together before the seasons are ever announced the schedules and get together a rule package and say, okay, we're all going to be running the same classes. We're all going to be running the same rules. And if you did that, then yes, I think it would take off and go again. And you could have a national championship where all three of the major series come together and, and you run for a true national championship. You you could do that. Yes. But it's going to take some agreeing on other people's part. But, well, I just think that if, the, if they, if you want to grow, you got to, you got to sacrifice, but you, but you're gaining in the, in the interim. Exactly. Exactly. I, I believe, I, mean, I think, I think AMA did a wonderful thing with the the national motocross series with the, the, the pro stock class to me that if it were me, if I was the main promoter in that series, that's the class I'd want to push the hardest in hopes of getting the manufacturers back involved again, you know, because that's the only gripe that they've ever had. Say, well, what they our finished product that you see on the racetrack is not even what we're selling on the showroom floor. Can Am come pretty close to it. Uh, Cannondale started that, if you remember. If you remember, Cannondale, they Cannondale started trying to build a race bike, then Can Am was pretty close. And here comes Yamaha, and they're they are close, they're on it. I mean, you can buy a Yamaha, go race it, put a kill switch on it, and you're ready to ride, stick your number on it. But, uh, well, that's a they, uh, perspective of, of it. You're never going to race in a competitive class, right? Uh, but yes, right. you're right. ready to go in an entry-level class to go race. You, you know, your KTM, as much as I choke on saying that and the Suzuki, um, those three models were the yeah. ones that like, if you're going to race in, in that pro stock class, those are the three bikes that you would race. Uh your right. that in a stock form, your Kawasaki in a stock form, I don't believe are competitive. Um, no. I don't think I don't know where I don't know where Kawasaki missed it. Because you know, they told all of us that Kawasaki and Suzuki were working together. I don't know. They missed it somewhere. I don't know yeah. what they they didn't work together on that platform. And yeah. I, I don't know what I never actually asked Jimmy White about it. I don't know what yeah. they were thinking. Well, I I, I, I listened to Jimmy White. Runners. Yeah, I listened to your interviews with Jimmy White, and he he, you and him touched on that a little bit. And I know Jimmy, like Jimmy said, y'all were he was getting to it. I like think another another season, and he might have won a championship. He came close, but I mean, it, it was a good bike. But look at the amount of time and resources they had to spend to get it, just to get it to where everybody else was. And I just I always thought it, it looked like it made more sense to me to start with a different platform a little closer to what everybody else has got. But they were just so far behind the eight ball when it started. It was just, it was hard. Well, if we would have stayed with the Kawasaki and my son would have kept racing, we Mm -hmm. were looking to adapt to the motorcycle electronics, like the stator flywheel and some other things to adapt that bike so that I could run a vortex ECU on there. So I could run different electronics. So I would quit having the electrical failures that I was having so then I could build the machine and, and put him on a platform that, that didn't have problems. Jimmy did outstanding helping us, uh, mm-hmm. you know, with making sure that we were good and pointed out a couple of the things that we could do to prevent the electrical failures. But that didn't stop the fact that when you built the motor to, to a specific size to get specific horsepower out of it, it was only going to live
0: so long. Right. Right. Yeah. And that that's, that's something
1: else too. I mean, You've heard stories for years about your Jeremiah Joneses and Joe Birds of the world that would sit there and tear a motor apart after every race. And I remember Keith Little. There's one, at least one season, maybe two. He was building a brand new folder every race. Every single race, he had a show up with a brand new machine. I was like, I don't know where y'all get y'all's resources, money to do that. I can't even live that way. <laughs> I don't know. But no, it just. It, but it's they were pushing the sport to a level where it had never seen before. And then here comes Suzuki and Kawasaki in the, in the fray and then Yamaha, and, and it, they were definitely stepping up in a big, big way. And then the economy takes a tank, and that was it. So, and then it never recovered because when the, when the economy starts coming back, here comes the side by sides, and it starts drawing people away. And it was just
0: well, the really
1: intended. Yeah, the factories would have taken time to work with us. Instead of this, yeah. I think that that it would have grown, um, and and you know maybe done maybe not the factories control it maybe if the factories would have went to the key independent companies and said you're going to run this satellite program and this guy's going to run right. this satellite program and and they all would have diversified a little bit we would have all survived better and yeah. the factories left the, the race teams wouldn't have left right some of the money would have went away and some of the size and some of the dollar figures for the, for the salaries would have, would have, would have lessened, but you'd still have the basic resources. And, well, you know, that's, that's one thing back through the, all through the nineties, not just, I started to say through the late nineties, actually all through the nineties, it was companies like yours that kept this industry going. I mean, if it wasn't for companies like you guys and the bald ones of the world and the Curtis Parks' and the various ones, this industry would not have survived. It would have just drawn up. And honestly, we wondered if it wasn't Honda's intentions when they pulled out. But I can't imagine it would be. But but they, in turn, what I'm saying is, if it wasn't for you guys producing parts for us, we couldn't have continued to race. Because when the stuff started breaking, we're done, you know. And it, all the way out to where Eddie Sanders started producing cylinders and you guys started producing that power valve cylinder and stuff. We had parts that we had available to us. As long as that's all we really needed for us to get up and go racing that weekend was give me parts. I just need parts. So when I break something, I can keep going. And that's from what I'm understanding. Honda's now doing that with the 0405. The TRX parts is now they're getting diminished. Uh, and I was like, that's not what I want to hear because I've got five of them sitting here in my garage. <laughs> but uh, I'm going to go find some of my billet guys again and start making more parts, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I, but, I um, love the platform for the 0405. I really do. And I do too. In the West Coast here, uh, I don't think that there's a better platform. Um, I
0: know, agree.
1: The 06 up platform is really good. It's fast, probably a little faster, but it's a little more fragile. Um so there's, pro, there's pros and cons. You build, you build the platforms really similar. Um, you know, beams that I've probably built more Hondas than I have Yamahas. Well, hands down, I've built more Hondas, but the Yamaha platform is pretty awesome in its own right. And I wouldn't say that I would compare my platform to, to Chad's or Joel's, but I like the setup that I run um, and it, and it's evolving, just like the Honda platforms evolved. Um, it, there again, I just don't wanna dump a whole bunch of money into racing. I like the fact that the individual consumers can roll a machine in the door and I have a beginning platform for them with a pipe an intake, an ECU, and an oil catch can and some other devices that I can put on their machine and send them out into the world, and know that they're going to have a great, long living machine. Yeah, and that's what you got to have. That's that's exactly what it is. <coughs> Excuse me. So, with that being said, rumor, you know, we all we've all heard rumors. I've even heard some of your your guests talk about it. That Honda has another machine coming. Honda has no, how many years did we hear that before the the TRX showed up? I don't know. So. Do I hold out with my Hondas and wait for a new Honda to show up? Or do I just go ahead and dump the Hondas and get a new Yamahas? Because when I go buy buy one, I'm not gonna buy one, I probably have four or five of them. So how do you do that? You know, do I go make that transition? And then as soon as I do, you know what's gonna happen. And as soon as I sell all my Hondas and go buy new Yamaha's the next season, here comes all these brand new Hondas and all like, that, really. <laughs> so well, that's my in, luck. In, in the way that the industry works right now. I would say that if if that happened, you got one to two seasons before your your new developed Honda is going to start working all the kinks out of it and they're going to have a right. start having a platform that you can be buying the things that you need to make it a better machine because nothing comes off the
0: showroom floor ready to do what we're going to do to them. Right. Right. That's what I'm saying. So that being said, you know
1: and 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 there again too, is i factor in another another huge factor that i have to, to lay into this is as i told you before monster truck shows have allowed me to race far beyond the years i probably should be racing but how many more years do
0: i have before i just say okay i'm done with it <laughs> i'm finished what? who knows how old you, know? are you i'm 55 Seriously? and
1: mm-hmm. yeah and i have a wonderful time I still run with the 25-year-old. I don't have a problem with that. I don't have no problem lining up against them. Uh, but the problem is, how long is your body going to last?
0: I don't know. I think you your know. body's
1: going to last as long as your mind will allow it to. And yeah. you seem still pretty young, uh, uh, mentally and physically. I think that you're going to go probably another five years, three years, until you decide. Yeah. But But I don't think... I don't think that's where the most important portion of is if you being on the machine. The most important thing is is for your guidance to be there for the individuals, so that you're still helping them progress. Well, the sport that's that's a good segue into the next thing. As I talk about is the race team that I started a few years ago has grown. Uh, I got a race team called Quad Star Racing. Quad Star Racing started out with just about I think it was about seven of us the first year, and it was just I wanted to come together collectively as a group and put riders together that are, you know, basically primarily amateur riders. Now, I have taken on a couple of pro riders, but it's just primarily amateur stuff and trying to make it where we can get discounts because we're a collective group that will buy, you know, more product from a given company. And, and support them and represent their product while we're on the tracks and so forth. And then uh, every season, it has grown. And just like everything else, uh, this past year for 2000 and, uh, 2021, we're now up to 72 riders on our team. And we have 52
0: sponsors.
1: So it's grown, uh, to say the least. Do I want any more riders than that? and probably could stand to back it back down a little bit, to be honest with you, just because it's impossible, and I ain't telling you nothing you don't already know, but it's impossible to give 72 people the time and attention that they all deserve and need. You know what I'm saying? Especially when they run various series around the country, Mm -hmm. various genres, motocross, TT, cross country. They run ice racing. I mean, they run various things. And so it's hard to give everybody all the attention that they deserve and need. So what I try to do is, is uh, just work deals with companies for special discounts for our, our riders. And then also, there are some companies that are service companies, such as yourself and others, that I want their service. I want their expertise. In other words, I want the riders to be able to contact that company if they've got an issue, if they've got a problem with a carburetor, that they can call Danny Walton to Jet Lab and say, hey, Danny, here's what my carburetor is doing. What do I need to do? Or if my bike's running like this, what need you know, and just little stuff like that and just to give them that advantage, number one, but also um to be able to help them financially. You know, if it saves them, if we get a deal with like O'Neill, for example, um, we got their pro level deal. We get the same deal the pros get. None of these guys would be able to get that, you know, without, you know, on their own, just as an individual. They don't qualify for it. Unless you're running in the pro class, you don't qualify for that. But when right. you come walk up to it, when you come walk up to Mark Share and say, "Hey Mark, here's what I got. I've got 50, 60, 70 riders that all want to, you know, buy product. They're going to buy product somewhere. Can we give them a strong enough deal to where they'll make sure they buy it from O'Neill?" So now our official gear is O'Neill because he stepped up and he stepped up big time. You know, how so do you, how do you ensure that your riders are going to go to the specific companies that are sponsoring the team? Well that that's where my biggest headache has come from because I have riders that say well I know I'm supposed to use this company for my graphics but I've always had a relationship with this company I want to stay with them. How do you how do you fight that? You know because chances are that graphics company hasn't done anything to justify just yanking them riders away from them. All right.
0: So how do you do that?
1: That's not the point. The point is yeah. if you have a structured deal and you right. have the specific square rules I'm sorry, that's the box either you the in box or you're out right you And that's that every season I lose riders because of that very thing that they want to go outside the box, like you said uh and that will continue to be that way
0: um henceforth uh it's it's tough to it's it's also tough to to uh Uh, Jim Glenn is trying to call me there. <laughs> but uh it's it's tough uh to oversee that for
1: 72 riders. As I said, as like I said, they're scattered throughout the country. I can't go run to everybody's house and go walk in the garage and see what they got on their water.
0: Uh-huh. It's just
1: not it's not possible. So there's a little bit of uh integrity and honesty there that you trust that they're doing it, but until something pops up, you see a picture of the machine on the, online and notice that they don't have, they got a competitor's product on there or they got this or that. It's, it's tough. That is, that is a challenge. Every single year The a challenge. One of the things that I think is forgotten in the industry, which might be forgotten in more aspects of life than, than just the ATV world, is the integrity of, of things. You right. Know, if you're a C rider, I'm sorry, you're at a different level than a B rider. Correct. B rider, you're at a different level than an A rider. If you're a pro M guy, you're a different level than a pro guy. And I'm not saying that there aren't guys out there that have deals that give them the upper hand or not. But what I'm trying to, to say is the industry's gotten away from looking at the different levels and sponsoring for that level. Yeah. You know, that's, just, that's a good way. That's a good way of looking at it. I hadn't thought about well, it like that. You're exactly right. And, and here's this is this is gonna be unpopular, but just because you race ATVs doesn't mean you deserve free tires and free graphics. Absolutely.
0: And, I agree.
1: and and riding gear. No, your presence in the industry as far as how you carry yourself, how you act at the racetrack how your machine is represented and how well you take care of your sponsors needs to be everything. So I hope that the integrity of that is coming across to these individuals because when they step out of the box, they hurt your integrity and you're a man of integrity. And I know when you give your word to somebody that it's your word, you're not going to come back. I mean, sometimes it's painful and sometimes it costs money. But you know, when I reach my hand out there and tell somebody I'm gonna do something, I do it, and, and if it costs me money, it's on me. Oh, yeah, exactly right. It costs you money. It costs you money. You, you keep your word to them. That's exactly right. Absolutely. And and I think that's that's a very good point. And I love the way you put that. And to the point that I'm probably gonna go back and listen to this again and make some notes because whenever I address it uh, with these writers uh, the next time, because I like the way you just you, you just. He spoke it very well, where I think most people can understand it. They may not like what they're hearing, but they can understand it. And if they can't, then probably don't need them on the team anyway. Well, you know? I think I think people don't understand anymore that okay, Randy. Okay, here's the deal. I'm going to support you. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm gonna I'm going to let's say I'm going to give you a pipe, and I'm gonna give you headwork. Okay, that's our deal. Mm -hmm. Well, now it's your job because I just took money out of my pocket and put it in your pocket. Granted, it was just a product change, but
0: still
1: money. I hired you for a Mm -hmm. specific amount of time to promote my product. Mm -hmm. Now, for me to get my return on my investment, it means that you have to sell me retail, not buddy deals. Retail X number of motor jobs and X number of pipes. That's the agreement we have, right? And what I hear from riders is, well, I I don't want to do that. Well, (laughs) then why am I why am I helping you? Yeah, that's your that's your job.
0: Right.
1: That's why you're getting it. Oh, you just should give it to me because I race. No, Mm -hmm. that's not how this works. Exactly. That's exactly right. And so many people think, like you said, they they think just because they know me, they are entitled to get the deal that I get. No, not not exactly. You've been racing two years. I've been racing thirty-seven years. Not quite the same thing,
0: exactly. <laughs> you know, I get it. I've
1: developed I've developed a relationship with people within the industry. You not so much. You know, you you just got you get, you just got introduced to me. That's not a relationship in the industry. Uh, it may develop into one someday, but not right now. So you're, I, I 100% agree with
0: you. It's just like when you
1: hire that young kid. I'm hiring you to teach you. The uh-huh. entry level pay is entry level pay, because that guy over there that's been doing it for 30 years, he's not entry level pay, because he's been doing it for 30 years. You right. Can't get the same amount of pay because you can't produce the same amount of revenue. Exactly. That's exactly right. I 100% agree with you. I can't. I can't reiterate so much. I wish it, every young person in America needs to hear what you just said,
0: <laughs> but oh, they don't every want it. Person in America
1: think that I'm a dirty, rotten, no good.
0: Yeah, I know. Yeah, I agree. That's crazy. But but but
1: I mean, my, I'm just giving you the lesson that my dad gave
0: me. That's a good lesson, and it's very sound. Very sound advice, you know. But uh, the. Uh,
1: the thing I try, try to do is the, the whole purpose of the quad star racing program, literally trying to make it more affordable for amateurs. to race. Uh, because I felt like the more people that if you can afford to race more, the numbers will grow. You know, does that make sense? Totally. If, if it's not so expensive that you can't, you know, cause the guy is, is working, making 10 bucks an hour. He's a young kid. He's maybe just out of high school or maybe he's in college. He loves the idea of racing. He wants to do it. He has the passion. He just don't have the means to do it. Well, I'm not saying I'm going to fund everything, but if I can help you along the way a little bit, you know, why wouldn't I would not help you? Because I had pros that helped me along the way, by the way. Right. But you're a promoter mentality. So mm-hmm. let, let me throw this out at you and and mm-hmm. you can run with it or or talk about it. So you have the 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 pro stock production class. Uh, at the nationals, mm-hmm. why are we not forcing the lower level classes to be more of a pro, pro or a production level class, and I not allowing and not allowing them to change certain things until they get to an A level class? Okay, maybe there's no motor mods until you become a pro am rider. You know, right. you want to no A arms and shocks until you get. Into the A class because you're, ent- you're killing your entry level guy. You are. You are. My thinking is there is we've almost got we, we kind of put the cart before the horse in the sense that you've allowed for all these years. Now everybody, even the C class guys, have modified machines, right? Yep. All right. So all right. So all those guys are the modified machines, you know you, what you're going to have to run simultaneously stock classes and and modified classes together up through C, B, and A, just maybe not long-term, but initially the first couple of years anyway, to get rid of the modified machines. Otherwise, they've got all this money tied up in the machine. They can't even ride it because it's not a stock bike. Well, I'm an aftermarket guy. I'm, I'm, I'm cutting my own throat by saying it. I agree. Yeah, And see, and that's another thing I look out for too, is I try to look out for the aftermarket people that do produce the products knowing that without you guys i'm not a promoter i'm not nothing i'm sitting home on the couch because you guys without your support i'm not doing anything so it takes the whole machine turning but i 100 percent agree with you the, the whole thing that the atv industry has always had the problem is you can't go buy a machine off the showroom floor and go race it and be competitive like you can a dirt bike a dirt bike can go friday afternoon and buy a bike Saturday afternoon, you could be racing and be competitive with it. Yeah, what that's if, always been an issue. What what happened a few years ago in San Francisco? Guys, Chaparral team didn't show up, so he goes and buys a Honda. Yeah, yeah, with help from other sponsors and 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 people at the track, didn't change the motor package, but changed suspension, right. did some other stuff, and went out and and got fifth overall. Yep. I mean, yeah, I remember that. So. I agree with let's let's uncut the the aftermarket guy's throat here. So you run <laughs> your dual, you run your dual classes, you run a a, a C class modified and a C class stock.
0: But, yeah, that's but exactly what you would have to
1: do. You give more benefits to the C class stock guy as far as uh, promotions at the end of the year. As far as you know, there's more giveaways for that guy in that class. For winning the series, okay. The All right. For now, what do you, what do you what do you give him? What do you give him? Well give him here. You win can give him a can
0: tires, You can. Yeah, give that's
1: what I was gonna like. say. You got to be careful what you give him because you give him two, the wrong products, and now he becomes a modified guy. And he maybe he wasn't ready to go modified yet. even well, wouldn't say give him tires and wheels? And yeah. uh, you know, when you go to the B class, maybe you're allowed to run an exhaust pipe. Maybe you're allowed to run certain things. I mean, no, I mean, yeah. we would have to have a delegation of. 20 different guys sitting on it to yeah. decide. And I say guys, exactly.
0: to do it. industry yeah.
1: people sitting there and deciding what the rules are. But yeah. if you're not, if you're going to control the cost, you have to control the cost. It's just like, you want to control the pro class. You want to drop the cost down. You want to make it equal Yeah, mandate one style of piston with one style of fuel and everything else Okay, you want to you want have so and so do your head? Great, but this is the this is the compression ratio, piston and fuel you're allowed to run. Period. Yeah, better it better check before you enter. Better check when you come off. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yep. i I'm, I'm I tried to get a fuel sponsor at one uh, at one point with Mid Atlantic, and this was before they had some of the testing methods that they do now. But uh, I was trying to work a deal with Sunoco. And our local distributor, he was he was all for it. Matter of fact, he was one. He was taking it to Sunoco. And they, they were excited about it. But then you had other guys. You have racers that have deals with other suppliers. A VP, this guy's sponsored by VP. Same thing. I was working on trying to do a deal with a tire guy. All right. And I was trying to run it. I wanted Hoosier to sponsor a race that I was going to do. And everyone in that class had to run a Hoosier
0: tire. Jimmy White probably remembers this because he was part of that conversation when we were trying to do this. All right. But if you had a
1: just say an ITP or a, a Maxis or a CS or CTS, whoever the their tire manufacturers were, there's like, I can't run those tires. So therefore, I guess I can't come and race that race. What do you do? How do you mandate that? It's um, not a point pay, it's not a points paying event. It was a one-off event for very big money, and Hoosier was putting up a good chunk of that money to do that. I think I think that if the rider really wanted to ride it, he would have called the owner or the sponsor rep and go, "Hey, I need this money. I'm still going to run your decals, um, and if but I, have, I but I have to run these tires. But I have to run these tires. I need. Oh, you're okay to do it, even though it's not in my contract to, that I can't run this race." Yeah, you know, and and right. I know every tire manufacturer I know of would have said okay.
0: Yeah,
1: that's so, what I'm saying. That was that was a big that was a big dilemma back then. Uh, the it never did happen because the economy tanked and everybody started pulling out. So, but yeah. I I think that one of the problems you have also is you have riders their communication skills are so poor they don't want to call a sponsor and ask a favor. You know, hey, I got, I got this ride to do this one event and it's a dream deal to race Vegas to Reno with these two guys, but they run this product. I know it's not mine. I'll still have it on my chest protector. They, they call Mike, they call us, Lauren and I, and it's sure, no problem. We can do it. Um, just run our decals, you know, your visor decal and your chest protector decal have fun, you know, let us have know, a good how time. You know. Yeah. You know, and, 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 the other guys that do it without the authorization get dropped. You know, cause we always find out. Oh, well yeah. You'll see pictures and there's people there. Yeah, absolutely. You know, during the event, somebody's calling me and goes, Hey, I thought you sponsored so-and-so and they and he goes, well, he's while they're on the track. Yeah, he's running so-and-so's bike right now. Yeah, you know, I, I did sponsor him, you know? Yeah, hey, I did. Shoot me a photo of that. Yeah. Thanks for the heads up. (laughs) Yeah. And I sent him back a photo during that. That guy comes back to the truck and sees me sent him the text message with the photo. And he's like, "Uh, uh, uh." are you kidding me? Did you forget to call me? (laughs) Oh, geez. I know, man. It's been tough. But um, I I don't have all this. I don't have all the solutions, Randy. But you being the, the, the promoter's mindset. Mm hmm. Some of the things that I can convey to you from a sponsor's side, mm-hmm. you know, the promoter sponsor guys need to come together to build a platform to grow our industry and no offense to you and the other promoters. Sometimes I don't see the promoters ever coming our way.
0: Yeah, I know it's Well, here's one thing that you know as well as I do
1: the motorcycle atv racing industry the promoters generate their income off a of hoop it's generated off the riders Yep. they charge the rider entry fee they charge them a gate fee they charge their families and friends gate fees they're all generated off that rider okay without the riders the more riders they have the more more fans they have or spectators they have the more money they make however monster truck mentality okay and i'm and I'm not doing this to piss off anybody, but I'm saying there's a difference. Monster truck, NASCAR, NBA, NFL, they the people that are putting on the show get paid. Okay, they don't pay to get in. They don't pay your bills for you, and
0: they don't pay a gate fee. They're treated as talent. Okay? You get your money from going out and selling
1: and promoting it in the media, selling advertisements through sponsors, whether it be billboards or flyers or uh, electronic media, whatever it is. And then you make the money off of the spectators coming in, paying a gate fee to get in to come and sit and watch it. Okay. I've said from the very first days when I didn't even know what I was talking about, it had no clue what I was talking about. I said, why does this guy depend on the riders to pay his bills for him? He's got a product that he can sell to the general public, but yet he doesn't. I don't know. Is it because it's not mm-hmm. enough to do it that way? Is it too hard? It takes it takes talent, it takes work to do that. But all they want to do is go out and prep the track and order some trophies, and they're ready to go. No, there should be a lot more to it than that. <laughs> and, and you know what? You look at you look at Supercross, dude. Supercross dude, is I another guess. prime example. Yeah. The, you the think athletes, got an entry fee? Nope. <laughs> yeah, the, the athletes aren't getting charged to walk in there. You know, no. the fans are, and the fans are your lifeblood. And, and I think that the promoters in, in our industry have lost sight of what's important, and they're charging the athletes, whether it be a C right. rider or a B rider. No, your racers should not be paying a gate, okay? If they bring three family members with them, I'm sorry. There's a nominal fee to get you in the gate. Right, right, exactly. You know? But, and I remember back, I remember back when the promoters didn't charge the racers a gate fee. You were a spectator, you got a $5 fee to go in the gate. Right. You're a, yes, you're in the truck with the racer, but okay, you're not paying the, the car load of people to come to watch the race that shows up that pays $15 a head. No, you get mm-hmm. charged $5 in a different wristband or whatever it was and there you go. in the gate and yep. you were there because you were helping that racer, you know, be part of the deal. And right. I think that, you know, there's some guys that we could name that are guilty of not taking mm-hmm. care of the ATV racer because they're only there for the dollar figure. Right. And see, that's, that's what's to me, that hurts amateur motorsports period. But I just don't think you should be relying on the rider. I, I really don't to so do that. You bring you you rely on that you rely on that rider to bring his machine and perform in, in front of this crowd. That's what you're relying on him for. You're not relying and at the end of the day, he gets paid something. You and your three day events are also what hurt the amateurs. Yeah. Take Thursday off, to be there on Friday to practice, to race on Saturday. Right. N- n- d- when did when was that ever okay? <laughs> They only did that because it was such a huge event that if you want to practice. They did it for yeah. revenue.
0: They didn't do it because it was a huge event. Well,
1: that's true. You can't tell me that there's, there's never been a practice day assigned to where revenue wasn't in the equation. Because they're like, hey, I've them $10 a head to come practice. Come on. you got got 100 riders. Hey, guess what? There's an extra $1,000 that I got. You
0: know? Exactly.
1: But the only guys that should be showing up early are the pros. Yeah. Because they should be yeah. a day because mm-hmm. if they're racing for money. They should right. be the guys getting the Friday practice while everybody. media, media day, yeah. You invite the media to come out. You know, exactly. It, it, I you know, agree with you. There's a way to generate more money. And if you were doing it correctly, your local media people would be coming out with the TV camera and putting yep. it on the news and saying, hey, we have this huge event in town.
0: Let's make the town. Really
1: need come check it out. You know, and that was another thing that we did at Virginia beach is, uh, the last couple of three years we was doing, uh, beach events, got it hooked up for what we had. I was able to take pro riders and go to the local news stations early in the morning on Friday morning, early, like seven o'clock in the morning. One of which was your boy, Chad Lohr. (laughs) Love taking him because that boy can talk. And I mean, he did a fantastic job. I remember And, uh, but I took others as well, but they took to the camera like a fish to water. And I'm telling you, they just, they did phenomenal and they sold that show. And so we had, we had, we were able to seat 8,000 people on the bleachers there on the boardwalk and we sold out every single time, all three years that we did that, we sold out. So, you know, and it wasn't just that it was the fact we had so many more riders, but also the fact we had local people coming in just to, to watch it. And we would tell them when the pros were coming, you know, what time the pro classes would start and race, and so on and so forth. And and they just it worked, it really worked. And I loved it because I was I was in awe as much as anybody else was standing around believing I couldn't believe it. I was getting to watch all this. This is pretty cool. <laughs> and uh, you remember when Derek Gooder first did his backflip on the, the pile of snow? Yes. You remember that? Yes. I, I had Sean Sermony to contact him and his brother and brought another young man out of Massachusetts, came down, brought a ramp. And that same year that he did that, you know, he was a rock star in the ATV industry at that point. He came down, he and his brother and the other young man, I can't remember his name, It was Tim or something. Anyway, but they come down and performed on Saturday night on the beach under the lights. And we were playing rock music, and the, the people all down the boardwalk, the grandstands are full, the hotels, you just looked up at the hotels all the way up on the roof. I mean, just people hanging off the balconies and just watching this thing. it, was, it had to be 25,000 or 30,000 people watching these guys, and it was absolutely phenomenal. And you, when I say we had fun, dude, I'm not, I'm not stretching it. We had a ball. Everybody ever mentions Virginia Beach. All they can think of is the good times they had, but it was a lot of fun. And, now and, that was a three. That was a three day weekend. That was worth three days going to. I'm okay, they, they, okay. <laughs> it's a three day event. Yeah. I get yeah. it. You know, yeah. but, but let's get back to taking. But we weren't stuck care. out in the middle of a cow. We weren't stuck out in the middle of somebody's cow pasture. We was out. We, we actually had a facility and we were doing it. So yeah, you know. So go I, ahead. I want to promote, and I want to. No, I'm not a promoter, but I see from where I'm sitting and all the different things that I've heard, we need to change the way we look at ATV racing to bring it to the future and stop putting it in the background. If you want it to be big, you need to make it big. You need Mm -hmm. to look at it big. You need to see that it be big and it will be big. And, and, and I hope that I, since I'm not a promoter, I'm hoping that a, a promoter such as yourself or someone else is going to listen to this and understand Mm -hmm. the concept and roll it into changing the industry so that we can be bigger and be better. I hope that that happens. I'm the guy building the championship winning bike. that's there at the event. There you go. I mean, because that's my first love. Uh, Will I live Will my body live through that? As 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 long as I want it to, I don't know. <laughs> I have just as many issues working on them as I do riding them
0: anymore. Oh, yeah, I can
1: understand that. But uh, I've I've got to witness a lot of great things happen in the history, of the, you know, just in the history of the ATV industry as a whole. Uh, one of the greatest things to put the biggest smile on my face is seeing the three wheelers come back. Even though I don't care to ride them anymore. Because I think I'd kill myself, <laughs> but uh, just uh, just seeing the three wheeler industry come back the way they're doing, it, it, that's a lot of that, that brings joy to me just to see it. You know, especially knowing the way that they were pushed out and for no no one's fault but their own. It was the it was the people. The guy that was the drunk guy with no helmet on out there riding on the sand dunes and he crashes and you know kills himself or hurts himself. I mean,
0: that's his fault. That ain't the three wheeler's fault. It's his fault but well, the media promoted it as it was the three-wheeler's fault. 3 Three-wheeler didn't drink that drink.
1: You <laughs> can get into a whole different con- conversation that we're not yep. going to about personal <laughs> responsibility. Right. And, and, and it, it is all about personal responsibility.
0: Yeah, it is. Andy,
1: it's been amazing. This conversation needs to, to have a part two to it. Okay. So I'm going okay. to tell you that I will be reaching back out to you to have you come on again because we only we only got the tip of the iceberg here, yes, we did yeah yeah, you only scratch the surface there's a lot of things that we could discuss, and lenny, just like back in the day and, and even the last you know couple months i, I love talking to you. I talk to you for hours only, and never get tired of it, well, yeah, you know, just enjoy. I would keep this going, but. There are people behind the scenes that are telling me that, that, that <laughs> wrap <we've>, it up. <laughs> we've already went too, too long. Uh, <laughs> and, and I'm not ever going to, I do argue with them all the time because I I, I went 30 minutes longer than they wanted us to. <laughs> uh, I want to, I want you to come back, Randy. I want to get more in depth okay. with the things that you do. Uh, okay. There's so many conversations and, and little mini conversations that you and I have had. Uh, about people in the industry, about events that you've done and about things that you've got to do. Um, And I would love to talk about all of them. Um, I thank you for coming on ATV Talk and I thank you for helping the ATV industry grow and stay relevant in the the circles that that you're running in. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate that very much. And coming from you, that means a huge amount too. Trust me, I appreciate it. Thank Um, you. I, I, thank, you for the, I, thank you for the invitation. I'm only one little cog in this. Without you, I can't do it.
0: And oh, without, you
1: here, without you, the story's not getting told. Uh, as, I t- as I told you, if it weren't for your company and your brother and the likes, I mean, and others like you, I wouldn't be where I am. That's for sure. So it, it's it's a mutual understanding and appreciation, I believe, because I truly appreciate you guys as well. I really do. Thank you so much. And we have some big things coming, so watch the social media. Uh, okay. ATT Talks going to be doing some some really different things for uh, what what we do as, as a podcast, and um, we're going to be reaching out to some people and, and and showing up in places that nobody's expecting. Awesome. So, uh, be prepared for that. Um, mobility is is huge, and that we're we're, we're shooting for that um, you know, as well as I do mobility costs money. So it does, it does anything I can do to help you. I'm all for it. Well, let me know. I'm going to be in contact with you because having you back on for, for a second or third show, uh, to tell your story and to talk about the things that you've done in, in the almost 40 years in the industry, it's, it's massively important. The team here at ATV Talk would love your feedback. Please email us at hello at ATVTalkPodcast.com.
0: Brought to you by Take-Two Custom Tees. Screen printing experience that is dedicated to quality and customer service every time.
1: San Diego's Body Evolution and Wellness Center.
0: More than 33 years in the industry, building racing programs and ATVs around the world. We field winners. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, don't forget to rate us on all available platforms and share us with your loved ones. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook for more ATV Talk News. I'll see you next time.